This is John Burke. Welcome to the inaugural Crossroads podcast of 2020. We are delighted today to be joined today by Glenn Foreign Group's Managing Director, Brendan Duvall. Brendan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Great. And Jonathan Carmody. Hi, JB. As always, the news editor of Latin America for information. Before we get into the show, guys, I just wanted to give a quick recap about what our viewers or readers missed at the end of 2019, if they were off in Europe or skiing in the Alps. There uh, was a major infrastructure deal away from infrastructure, so to speak, when Brookfield Infrastructure Partners did a buyout of Cincinnati Bell for $2.6 billion, a storied, storied high yield name being taken out by an infrastructure fund. The after effects of that, I think, will be very close to watch in 2020. The other side of the 2020 equation was going to be the St. Louis Airport privatization. And shortly before Christmas, the mayor canceled that project, citing lack of business support for the project, despite receiving 18 requests for qualification or RFQs submitted. At this point, I'd say every major infrastructure fund in the world, except for Glen Farn, did submit that submit those bids. Everybody thought that this could be a harbinger of things to come in the airport space. And now they're more like, well, in the US, same old, same olds, you know, two steps forward, 10 steps back. So we'll see what happens there. So Brendan, we're not here to talk about airports. We're here to talk about Glenn Farms platform and uh, how it resonates with both Latin American economies as well as today, the US. You guys had announced back in December about Alder Midstream closing the purchase of Dallas-based natural gas gathering and processing business, IACX Energy. You guys were also the majority owner of a LNG export project in Brownsville, Texas. So the more I look into natural gas and the environment that's out there, you know, you see terms like saturated, oversupplied, low prices, and the competitive nature of it now competing with solar and wind as those prices have come down. What can you tell me about this investment for starters, and where do you see Alder's role in this environment? Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Alder Alder Midstream is a platform we've launched uh, to own and operate and develop midstream infrastructure companies, not unlike we've developed the Enfragen power platform. Given the bulk of midstream investing is in North America, that is predominantly focused on North America, but we do see some midstream opportunities in LATAM. You referenced the saturated and, and, the, and the low price of gas, and we think when we invest into midstream infrastructure, we need to play into the arms of that low-priced gas. And so ALDA has three distinct areas of value creation. And as a reminder, we're always looking to be a developer an owner and operator, we can turn assets around. So we're looking for deep value opportunities. We've now got 350 people in the broader platform. The bulk of them are engineers. So that allows us to get into some interesting opportunities. So how does the Texas LNG development, well, obviously low price gas makes US LNG export attractive. So the the Texas LNG initiative, and in particular our view that seaborne LNG, particularly up and down the Americas, is a growth market, we think it's a fantastic project. And LNG projects are typically mega. This is the smallest fully FERC-approved LNG project in, in the Gulf Coast, which allows us to go to our financial close and FID with 
a lot of less moving parts than the mega projects. And so we're very excited and we do hope that gas prices stay in a moderate range because that'll be very attractive to our, to our off-takers. In the gathering and processing side of things, IACX Energy is a specialist in long-dated and well-understood basins and, and formations where there's very predictable gas flows. And often we can buy very well these gathering systems because the low price of gas. But in particular, IACX has a specialty of extracting extra value out of the gas flows that not a lot of other owners of gathering systems focus on, which is the helium. And helium is a commodity that is becoming more scarce and under more demand because it literally vents up into the atmosphere, just like a balloon floats away, the gas itself does. And so by being able to monetize helium in these acquisitions and apply a, a more focused approach to managing these older systems, we see a lot more value in them than the sellers and or, or, or the, the current owners. And so that, and particularly with lower price gas, those Previous owners are less likely to continue investing, whereas our team and our approach is a specialty. And it also avoids less competition when we're, when we're looking at those valuations. The third leg of ALDA, again, plays to the hand of low price gas, where some gas is so remote or there's so much gas out there, it's shut in and, and it's shut in because there's so much constraint. And so we're looking at investing in infrastructure that converts either methane or ethane into an alternative, whether a liquid or a solid. And we think there's a range of those opportunities there. That's That third leg of the stool for ALDA is at a very early stage, but that, that will also be focused on North America. What's the time frame for Brownsville at this point? So we would expect to go to groundbreaking FID in about 12 months from now, so early 2021. We had our very exciting moment where we got our full final FERC approval in in November. So now we're finalizing debt consortiums and and finalizing uh, the EPC process and we would expect to announce updates on both of those in in Q2. What's the uh, capacity in terms of trains? So there'll be two trains each at 2 megatons per annum, so a total of 4 megatons which is multiple smaller than a lot of the big guys, albeit any one train is roughly the same economy of scale other than the storage tank as, as the big guys. And so we've got oversupply of at least quality off-takers uh, under LOI for our, for our volumes, and we're focused on Asia and second-tier Europe for, for that off-take. And just last question on that point, you mentioned maybe there's some opportunities in Latin America for the platform. Were there any specifics around the geographies there that could be interesting or other than both continents and anywhere else? So we're focused on high-grade Latin America, so investment-grade Latin America. Yeah. And as, as you know, the bulk of that now is actually OECD. Right. So we see there's opportunities in Chile, Colombia, and even, even though there's there's pipelines in, in Mexico. There's still areas of, of stranded demand and still a lack of supply of gas <clears throat> into areas in, in Mexico. So wherever we can either, whether it's an LNG or helping with domestic infrastructure, we think we can help those economies by, by some investment with our embedded knowledge of the power markets there. So it would be the same places where we have our power plants. Sure. Good launching point for you to go into Latin America, Jonathan, to go for it. Yeah, great. And one of the things I was thinking there when you were developing an LNG export terminal in, in Brownsville, Texas, yeah. you know, you're in the, the Gulf of Mexico. That's right. 
I'm thinking with the acquisition of Tema Flores yeah. last year, there's surely got to be a link up in, in the kind of supply chain that you're, you're using there. Tell so, us about the logistics of that. Yeah, so, so clearly they are two standalone companies with separate capital structures and separate, separate partners. So the most important thing is the knowledge base that Glen Farm brings to both companies. So on the Amphrogen side, we're currently filling cargo of LNG coming across the Gulf Coast from Sabine Pass to the Tuma Flores plant. Mm-hmm. And so our knowledge of those gas flows in the Caribbean are very useful when we think about how to monetize any excess capacity from the Texas LNG facility. Mm-hmm. We don't see there being an explicit contractual link between our power business and our LNG business. However, we both businesses get the knowledge of the economics and the flows, and I think it makes us a better buyer of LNG on behalf of the power business and a better seller of LNG on the side of the midstream business. Great. And, you know, Tama Flores was, I think, your first gas-fired power plant. It's a, it's a backup plant in, in Colombia. That's right. You also got a, an interesting investor to join you on That's that right. deal. So yep. Partners Group came yep. aboard. Yeah. What do Partners Group bring to Glen Farney and, you know, to Infragen and, and Prime in particular? So we were, we were really proud and, and, and excited to, to have such a prestigious firm such as Partners Group come in to the platform. The Swiss are very particular in their approach to investing. It was an extremely rigorous process. We spent time in Switzerland, in Latin America, in North America. And we'd known Partners Group for six years, where it was a very long dating process. We met them every two years, and we updated them, and we updated them, and and finally we consummated this transaction. So they're on the board, and um, we share the board together with with Glenfarn and Partners Group. And we're actually going down with a whole bunch of their team to, to go through all of our Chilean power plants, for example, next week to see where we can jointly add value and share ideas. Mm-hmm. And so they've got tremendous experience. Um, they're managing $90 billion. So the broad experience of different settings in different countries around the world just, just gives us a, a, a greater, broader team. Okay. And with that investment from Partners Group, is that going to be put to use in all of the companies that Glenfarn operates in the region? So that's just into Enfragen. So there are partners in Enfragen. Um, we'd be delighted if we could do some more business outside of Enfragen with them. But it comes into the holding company of Enfragen. And the, the, the bulk of the first tranche of that, that partnership is to, to build out the Colombian business. So it allowed us to, 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 to fund uh, Tuma Flores in, in Colombia. Mm-hmm. But, but we're growing our solar portfolio as well. So we've approved some additional solar investment already that, that'll, that'll consume some of that capital. So yeah, broadly across the whole Infragen platform, we expect to, to be working together. Great, great. And when you say solar, is that also in Colombia? So the the focus for our solar initiative is Chile and Panama. And so there's a fantastic program of, called the PMGD program in, in, in Chile, where they have a, a very well-run regulated tariff there, stabilized tariff. And then um, we have a footprint in Panama where we like that market for, for various reasons. And so they're the two markets our solar initiative is focused. Colombia is not quite where we'd like to see it yet for, for various reasons. Um, mm. 
uh, and particularly their program had a had a lot of bidding that was at, at prices that that aren't as interesting to us at the moment but but we do envisage as a solar platform grows to actually make some investment in Colombia okay and you know we talked about Colombia and Chile there mm. two countries that last year saw very turbulent political mm. situations there was a lot of social unrest a lot of protests how do you manage that at Glenfire and how do you monitor those situations mm. and, and what effect does it really have on your businesses? Mm. Mm. You know, when you're, a, when you're an owner of infrastructure in anyone's backyard, in anyone's country, anyone's state, anyone's town or city, you have to realise you're part of the, the community there. And, and so in reality, you might be a power plant owner-operator or a toll road owner-operator, in our case, a power plant operator. But really, your prime business is government relations and community relations. So we made a big effort to build out a focused effort of communication and touch points with all layers of government, from the ministerial to the senators to the, to the diputados to the, to the city leaders. And so as this unrest was unfolding, we had a whole group of people that were communicating regularly, daily, weekly, monthly mm. with all of them so we could understand how we could help and engage and and protect if ever needed Mm -hmm. and so it was a readiness that that i was very proud of that the team in chile and and also in in the u.s that that's on the board that set that up so we've we've spent a lot of time meeting with with key key players and reinforced our confidence that the best defense to this unrest is to pick the best countries to to, to begin with Mm -hmm. that have a proven track record of working through difficult situations and and not sort of flipping to a more difficult regimes as as has happened in in Venezuela for example to choose an extreme so mm-hmm. primarily having the best economies to go into that have a track record of dealing with issues and then secondly communicating very closely when when problematic issues arise okay and you mentioned attractive markets. Well, you know, Colombia and Chile are both very, very strong markets. Chile in particular has that yep. track record you talk about yep. of uh, you know, respect for investments, yep. especially foreign investments. But, you know, we, we see the largest market in Latin America is Brazil. Mm. Uh, we also mentioned Mexico. Yep. But I'm, I'm just curious if there's prospects that you're seeing out there in those countries mm. that mm. might be interesting for any one of the, the businesses of Glenfire. So Mexico is definitely, uh, it's OECD, it's Spanish speaking, so that's right down the middle for us. Its power market is in US dollars. We see the power market there going through quite a difficult time to invest new dollars into the main CFE portion of the power market, where we see tremendous opportunity is due to the difficulty of CFE to keep up with the demand growth, mm-hmm. is supplying power to what is still a very robust economy and, and a growth in manufacturing and a, and a growth in industry there. So we're looking to install power plants off-grid inside the fence to help bridge the, the demand and the power supply until CFE can catch up in five to ten years. Mm-hmm. And we also believe that gives us a nice footprint there so when CFE opens up for more business such as it might have been a few years ago, we'll be well positioned in the country. So we do expect to enter Mexico through a distributed generation approach. We're working through that with our partners our partners group now to come up with a business plan. So that's that's work in progress. Yeah. Um, partners obviously with the experience that they have in Mexico, you know, yeah. with Fermaca and the midstream yeah. space. Yeah, no, they, they have a, a lot of information on, on Mexico, that's for sure. Absolutely. 
Brazil, for us, it's, it's, it's non-OECD, it's non-investment grade, it's a different language and a different culture. So that doesn't mean it's not a good place to make money. Mm. But when you think of building out a team with a level of focus, our focus has been on Spanish-speaking Latin America and investment grade Latin America. And so Brazil, one thing I would say about Brazil, it really is a standalone economy. And when you study economies around the world, it's one of the most internalized economies in the world. And it has probably the least amount of need for a lot of foreign investment in reality. They'd love a lot of it and they take in a lot, but it actually survives a lot on domestic. And so that's a a new decision and that'll be at a later date that's not part of our, our current this year, next year thinking. Great. If it ain't broke. Don't fix it. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And in terms of the other jurisdictions, you know, well, Central America, obviously, with mm-hmm. your, your Panamanian investments, they've got a new president there. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you're keeping abreast of the situation. Right. But, you know, are you seeing opportunities for more power generation projects there? What's their, their matrix looking like? Yeah, so, so Panama, we think it's a great country. You know, it's been a friend of the U.S. for a, a long time. U.S. dollar economy, investment grade, I think it it should be knocking on the door of OECD. It's not quite there yet. We do see opportunity there in the market. We we are looking at solar there. We see it as very different to the rest of Central America, as as you could imagine. Mm. But yeah, we're looking at solar. If we can negotiate some additional hydro plants there, we'd be be interested. But but it remains a a good economy. There's some, some overhang in the power sector there with two major projects, LNG, gas-fired projects that have got a lot of uncertainty around them. They may or may not be built. They're they're heavily delayed. So that provides a little bit of cloud for people who aren't in the market. But when you're inside the market and you understand the way the power price is set, that cloudiness is actually quite easy to see through. I wanted to talk about just sort of the investment climate to sort of close it out. I really should have the dry powder numbers in my tattooed in my head at this point. (laughs) But you can be get an illustration in the sense that we have one twenty-two billion dollar fund that's closed in Brookfield, and another one that's coming close in Global Infrastructure Partners, mm. twenty-two billion apiece, and then fourteen billion raised through Blackstone, and on and on it goes. So you're talking about dry powder. You're talking about a competitive environment, and obviously, when you talk about the midstream, that's also been a very heavy focus of a lot of these infrastructure mm. funds. So what's your view on the competitive spectrum now for you? And how does Glenn Farden intend to sort of maintain its edge through looking at all these different investment opportunities? So it's very, very interesting. I started in, in infrastructure when I joined Macquarie back in the beginning of my career in, in the mid to late 90s. And we really didn't see another infrastructure fund until about 2006, so kind of yeah. 10 years into my career. It was the main part of what I did. And we started to see multiples run up on assets. And what I had observed back then is is actually how do you avoid competing at the high multiples and still stay active? And, and my approach to infrastructure has been building businesses around infrastructure. So that's what we do at Glenfarn. So when you're building businesses around infrastructure, generally we're not pursuing the mega assets. And the real dry powder volume of supply in abundance is is in the larger assets, particularly these large funds. And so what we often see is we're buying or building or developing assets that, that those larger funds don't have the manpower to go after. So we're sort of staying under the radar financially, but also getting into situations where it requires more of an operator's mindset to turn an asset around, 
develop a new commercial strategy or build something from scratch. And then when they're built into a bigger platform, then our valuation can pick up and our valuation gets uplifted by this need to to buy assets. And, And we think that the valuations of our platforms but even just very sensible valuations meet the needs of, of these this dry powder, whether it's the dry powder of a pension plan or, or, a, or a manager of pension plan money through a fund. So we actually are quite excited about the volume of dry powder because we're not competing against it, but we're creating businesses that the valuations of those businesses get dragged up by that, that dry powder. But we're not typically competing when you buy an asset that's got opportunity to enhance it through physical or, or commercial turnaround, you're not competing with, with the dry powder. You know, 2011, right? That's mm. when you found the Glen Farm. Yep. Are you uh, viewing the investment platforms that you built up as buy and hold, or is there going to be monetization? Yeah. I, I learned at, uh, at my time at Macquarie and, and studying other, other investors, we underwrite and we build these businesses as if, if the business is going to own the assets forever, okay? So, so when we think of the quality of effort we put into underwriting and buying assets in Emperor we do always try to run the businesses that if a buyer or an investor came along and said, you know what, I really like this platform, can I come in and diligence and buy it? We try to run a private company with a quality of information prep that, that we could sell some equity or the platform at any point in time. Our partners in our platforms, we, we, we need capital to continue to grow. We're long-term interested in our platforms, but to bring in partners, we need to take into account their needs. And so we do have mechanisms where we can create exit opportunities and or allow our partners to sell or sell the whole platform. So I always say we invest to own forever and we're always open to a sale. <laughs> Great. Well, Brendan, thank you for coming on the program today. Really appreciate it. Hopefully you've gotten a lot out of this program to the listeners and we'll see you next month. Work out.